0: You're
1: feeling great. I am feeling great. You know, my big thing is you cannot you cannot cry after a PR or after a win, no matter how ugly it was or how small the PR. You never know, you never know when a PR is going to become a lifetime best. You don't want to say that, but people who who don't think PRing is a big deal, it is. You have to celebrate every single one. So I'm gonna celebrate.
0: <laughs> All right, Cabe. We wish you the best of luck, and we'll see you in London. Thank you. That was Gabe Grenwald after running a 401 in the 1500 meters at the 2013 Monaco Diamond League. She was a professional middle distance runner who inspired millions with her strength and courage. And on June 11th, she died after a decade-long battle with cancer. She was 32 years old. So this will be a bit of a heavy episode, which is why it's taken me a little bit of a while to get out. Last week, the world lost one of the most inspirational members of the running community, And before we get to the rest of the episode, I just wanted to share a couple things and a couple remarks that I made before a recent group run in New York City that was held in memory and in honor of Gabe. In a perfect world, I don't think this podcast ever happens. Uh, I don't think that run in New York City ever happens. I don't think the memorial runs in Portland and Flagstaff and Minneapolis ever happens. I, I think Gabe ends up back on a track making another U.S. final, possibly vying for another world championship team. But that's not what happened. What you'll hear on this episode is audio from April 2017. So bear with me if the quality from the audio recording from a phone call wasn't the best. But this was from an interview that I had with Gabe uh, that I never got around to using really. Uh, In July 2017, actually, Sports Illustrated senior writer Tim Layden wrote quite the masterpiece chronicling Gabe's life and her cancer battle. I'll include the link to that story in the show notes. So I just had this recording on my phone for about two years, and I listened to it for the first time in almost that long uh, just a couple days ago, and I jotted down a bunch of notes. Gabe shares a lot of her life story with me. It was awesome to hear, and in retrospect, the amount of hope and bravery that she had as we talked and she faced her latest cancer battle was something that never really changed with her, so you'll get to hear that pretty shortly, and if you'll bear with me for a little bit longer, I'd like to share a quick story about the first time that I met Gabe. I shared this on Instagram, and I wrote about it. On Sidious Mag, so I'm sorry if it's a little bit repetitive. It was in the summer of 2013 while I was covering track and field in Europe. I was 19 years old at the time. We were both in Lignano, Italy for a meet, and the lodging for this meet was definitely not ideal. The hotel rooms had no air conditioning. There were mosquitoes everywhere, and the only place with Wi-Fi was the hotel lobby. So naturally, all of the athletes were in the hotel lobby, and there I was uploading videos to FlowTrack or writing or some combination of both. Gabe Anderson, at the time, uh, was there, and she was using WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, whatever it was, to get in contact with her fiancé, Justin, because she was super excited about their upcoming wedding that October. So... We talked for a bit. I introduced myself. Andy Bayer, another professional runner, was also there. And I believed he shared an agent with Gabe. He was also getting married pretty soon. So there was just a lot of conversation that happened and took place naturally, especially out in Europe when there's a lot of American athletes out there and you're in a place where the language might not be as familiar. Just seeing these you know, friendly faces around is a big relief and makes you feel a little bit more comfortable. And there was this positivity that Gabe brought into the room. I was still fairly new to the sport at the time, uh, but I would have never have guessed that at this point in her life, Gabe had already battled cancer twice. And just the year before, she had finished fourth in the 1,500-meter final at the Olympic Trials. And obviously the top three go to the Olympics, and she missed it by just two seconds. Absolutely heartbreaking. But the way that she carried herself, you just would have never have guessed that she went through all those different low points in her life. And that was Gabe all the time. She just kept her head up and kept running and hoping for the best. So she was pretty symptom-free and running very, very well when I had met her. And I was fortunate enough to be in Monaco for that 401-48-1500, and that's a time that puts her as the 12th fastest American woman of all time at the distance. We can go on and on about her accomplishments on the track and her life story, and you'll hear about it in her own words pretty soon. Initially, I wasn't planning to release this audio, but after talking to several people at the memorial run about it... uh, They were definitely curious and wanted to hear what I took away from it, and I figured it would be best to share with everyone. So I just want you guys to remember the words that she said at the very beginning of this episode from that post-race interview in Monaco, and that is to celebrate. Celebrate PRs, celebrate wins, celebrate running, but now here's a chance where we can celebrate Gabe and continue to be brave like Gabe forever. So where does the Gabe Grenwald running story begin and how did she get her start within the sport? I'll actually let her take it from here with some of the origins behind her running career.
1: You know, there's not like a one specific story about how I got into running. I think I grew up in a small town. I had a lot of siblings. I'm one of five kids and in our household, just like my dad was very in the We, we all were doing multiple activities all year round. And, um, I think you know I had tried a lot of I had been in basketball softball volleyball golf I mean I have tried I <laughs> seriously participated in so many different sports just because you can do that you have time to do that in the small town but I think for me um I got into running when I was in middle school and I think there were a couple like cross-country programs even when I was like younger than and like maybe fifth or sixth grade but uh I just really enjoyed it. I had some friends who were signing up and, you know, I was the type of kid who signed up for everything and it was sort of like a social event for me and in a way to, you know, make new friends or hang out with my friends. And, uh, but as soon as I started running, like it was, it's pretty immediate that there was some talent there, like winning those like really insignificant short junior high races um, it clicked for me, like, immediately, and I loved it from the start. I I remember, like, at one point, I think I, let's see, maybe as I got to be in eighth, ninth, tenth grade, like, I could qualify for state, small schools in Minnesota, and I think at one point I had, like, five school records, and <laughs> I, I lowered them significantly, and I think I only have two still, but, um... There wasn't – we weren't, like, the most amazing running program at all. And I just – the most – the biggest part of my high school and running back then was just, like, I would qualify for state and cross country and track every single year from eighth grade onward. And I had a little bit of success, like, third and fourth place, but I just always wanted to win once. (laughs) So, I I mean, that's, like – I had some ups and downs. I, like, had some dips in performance, like, my junior year. My coach, the current coach arrived at Perm when I was a junior, and he kind of, he was a D1 runner, and he is the person who's very much responsible for creating a powerhouse up there. But uh, he he opened my eyes to elite running, and even though I wasn't, like, by any means dominating the Minnesota State at that time, like, he just told me to believe in myself, and he helped me win. I won one state title, my last race, my senior year track in the 800, and I—I mm-hmm. I mean, that was probably one of the most satisfying, satisfying races of my life to this day. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, Perm is there's so much they've accomplished so much since I left. It's um. It's in some ways the same program. It's just a bunch of kids running around dirt roads and lakes and crappy tracks up there. But uh they they have they have made a name for themselves and I, I can't take credit for that. I, I like <laughs> to think that I started a running legacy up there. But um yeah, our coach Jeff Morris, he he's the one who's responsible for turning perm into a, a name for sure.
0: High school this is far from the end. Gabe was not ready to close the book on running. She was just getting started. And the next stop came at the University of Minnesota, where she went on to have some of the best times of her life.
1: So, like, going back to my senior year of high school, like, I just, I think my PRs in high school, I ran 508 for the mile, 214 for the 800, not fast at all for the two mile. Like, I was, like, almost good enough to, like, talk to D1 programs, but it was, like, not quite there for me in terms of getting offers. And I did a lot of visits to D3 and D2 programs in, like, the tri-state area of Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota, maybe Iowa in there. But I was uh, – it took me a while to, like, admit to myself that I wanted to try running Division One, and I pretty much knew that I would be a walk-on if I went to run for Minnesota, and I knew it would be just a whole new situation with like multiple time state champs and like just, you know, Minnesota high school stars. And I wasn't sure if I was ready for that. But as I went on all my visits, I realized that nothing else was clicking for me. And I wanted to see if I could cut a, a division on a division one team. And so I walked on to the golfers team and Honestly, I improved a ton my first year and started to earn scholarship after freshman year. But um, I would describe my time at Minnesota as just like the best time of my life and just so much fun. Uh, my running was, you know, a lot of improvement in the beginning. I was, like hit some plateaus in the middle, and uh, we just had some really solid teams there and did some things that um, Minnesota women's cross country and track had never done before, which was really, really fun. So I looked back very fondly at my time on my time at Minnesota. But but yeah, I I was always a little unsatisfied with my own individual performance, especially on the track. I felt like I had teammates who were qualifying for nationals or, you know, just kind of reaching a different level. I was like someone who would score at conference, but you know, would fall short of making um, a national meet. And so, yeah, I was hoping to do that my fifth year outdoor track. Um, I was in really good shape, and that was my last sort of my last chance. My big goal in high school was to win a state title. My big goal in college was to get an all america honor and i you know I missed it barely my fifth year in cross country. I missed it in in the d m r indoors and then outdoors I was like, "Okay, it's my last chance." <laughs> but, um, yeah, that is the season that got cut extremely short uh, by my first cancer diagnosis in 2009. So that is sort of how um, my my story with cancer began. Um, I'm sure you've read about, <laughs> I feel like I've told it like a hundred times, but I found out when I was at a track meet in a, in a hotel lobby, was supposed to race the next day. I did race the next day, actually. And I PR'd, but that was the end of my season. And, uh, honestly, as soon as that happened, I just, uh, it's not how I wanted my college career to end at all. I, I wanted to get through the cancer, get through whatever treatment I needed, and I wanted to return to the track if at all possible. I had to get some, I had to get approval by the NCAA for um, a clock extension and a hardship waiver, but it all ended up working out, and I got to run that outdoor season in 2010. And that was the season where, like, that put me on the map in terms of, you know, I finally made it to that elite level that I had always been dreaming of. But really, it wasn't, it wasn't happening for me until after cancer. So that's sort of, that's like the summary of my <laughs> college running.
0: I had to ask was she scared
1: yeah I definitely was scared um i think i i mean i was 22 i had no symptoms i just had a small bump uh like underneath my ear on the side of my jaw and i you know i wasn't probably as scared as maybe it's like as i could have been just because uh it was confined to a small space um so i didn't feel like I knew cancer was serious; I knew that it could become life threatening in the future, but in that that moment, I was like, "You know what this is like I can deal with this. This is one small tumor I'm gonna have a surgery, I can handle that. um I did do radiation therapy, but for me, it's like it was it was still like small enough of a situation. It's not like I had cancer all over my body um and so I tried to just, you know, I minimized it in a way that, you know, I could handle it. Um, it was hard, like the recovery, I had never had a surgery before, but you know, I, I knew I could get through it. Um, I, I had like an athlete's mentality with everything and I just, you know, took some of the lessons I've learned as a runner just with patience and, um, progressing slowly and, you know, I just believed I could get through it, and I did, and I was so happy to be done. I mean, radiation treatment was probably the hardest part of my first diagnosis just because there's a lot of symptoms that are tough um, when you have radiation anywhere near, like, your mouth and your salivary glands, Um, so that was a hard summer for me. There's There's no doubt about that. It was the hardest thing I had ever gone through up to that point in my life, but... But I was so motivated to just power through it, and I was so um, I was just really encouraged by the idea that I could get back to running again um, and finish out my college career the way I wanted to. I wasn't really thinking super far into the future, which I also think made it easier to get through. Um, I just was focused on getting back into running, getting back and finishing finishing up school, and then you know I was hoping that. I would go to the next phase in my life and I just wouldn't have cancer ever again.
0: She went on with life as normal to the best that she could. And she started feeling better with her focus more on running. That is until the second battle.
1: Um, let's see. My first diagnosis and treatment basically was um, April through 2009 through to probably July to August. I think is when I finished radiation. I had had um I was already in a 2 year grad program so in that sense like returning back to school for a 6th year like it wasn't that big of a deal um I knew I was going to go back to school anyway I wasn't still an undergrad <laughs> anyway so it was nice because that decision was already made and I just had to work on getting that 6th year from from the NCAA. uh so yeah I got back and I got through the 2010 season, which was just, like, huge PRs, ran way better than I ever expected. It was like a dream season. I still can't even believe how well that went sometimes. But – and I signed as Brooks that summer of 2010. I ran at U.S. Champs for the first time. Um, But that summer of 2010 – and into the fall, I did some racing, and then I had a follow-up appointment and some follow-up imaging to my neck, and they discovered that I had thyroid cancer that was acting kind of aggressive, like it had already been in some local lymph nodes, which was, total, was strange because it wasn't the first cancer I was diagnosed with, but it was still in the same area of my neck, basically. So that was just... A strange time because I was really, I had just had this amazing comeback and I just thought I was going to be fine. And I just, you know, I had finished school. I had finished my track season. I had signed with Brooks and I was just ready to start the next chapter. But so then I had, um, yeah, I had my thyroid removed and I had some radioactive iodine treatment, not radiation or chemotherapy, but it was just a strange time because I just didn't see. I didn't see it returning that anything returning that quickly and it was just a totally different cancer so it just seemed a little bizarre and that was that was hard for me in 2010 but um I was like okay this is another thing it's like a couple small things that they can surgically remove um and hopefully I should be fine so I got through that and basically since 2010 up until last summer I've just been you know focusing on being a professional runner uh my professional running career has definitely had its ups and downs um but you know I have gone to accomplish and pursue so many more things than I ever imagined it's been extremely fun to be to be able to pursue the stream of running and I got married in between there and just have really been living my life um sharing my story as a cancer survivor was something that I did occasionally during those those six years, basically, between 2010 and 2016. Um, but yeah, last summer is when I had my latest recurrence.
0: Gabe left out a couple details about just how good she got in that span of time where she was symptom-free. Uh, she finished fourth at the Olympic trials in the 1500 in 2012, but rebounded with arguably her best season in 2013, where she made another U.S. final in the 1500, something she didn't miss from 2010 up until 2017 when she competed after chemo. In July 2013, she ran that 401:48 at the Monaco Diamond League. Then she set a 3K PR of 842-64 at the London Diamond League just a week later. And then in 2014, she won the 3,000 meters at the U.S. Indoor Track and Field Championships and then represented the U.S. at the World Indoor Championships in Poland. So Gabe remained one of the top contenders for the 2016 U.S. Olympic team. But what we didn't realize at the time that she was competing at the trials was that she was running with a four-pound tumor in her liver and somehow still managed to reach the finals. This is how she found out about that tumor.
1: I had ended my season on almost, almost... right away after the trials, uh, it was just a tough year for me. And I felt like (laughs) I needed to just regroup honestly. Um, so I think it was early August. I don't even remember the exact date, but it was less than a month after I raced at the trials. And, um, it's kind of a weird story, but my husband, he's a, he's a physician resident. He's almost done with residency, but he had just finished working an overnight shift. And so he was coming home and going to go to bed after being up all night working. And I was just, I don't even know what I was doing, but we just, he gave me a hug when he got home and he mentioned that like, he's like, your side just feels weird. Like kind of like firm, like right under my rib cage and that whole left or whole right side of my abdomen. And I was like, you know, it does feel weird. Doesn't it? Like, I was like, you know, it had, does it look weird to you? Like I was like, I kind of have noticed like a little bit of um it just like had a little bit of fullness on that side of my abdomen, which I mean, I have a prominent rib cage as a runner anyway, so I don't think most people would notice it. But as soon as he said that, like I had been thinking about just like how that side of my body had been feeling kind of progressively weirder, I wouldn't ever use the word painful, but it just, as soon as he said that, something went off in my mind that, like, I was immediately worried about it being um metastatic cancer, honestly, Um, but we, so that was in the morning, that was, like, early August, it was a Sunday, I remember, Um, but I tried to get it out of my mind, like, oh, that's not what this is going to be, like, you know but ultimately later in that day my husband and I were still talking about it and i just had a really bad feeling about it and we googled some stuff and i felt even worse about it after that um so we actually we were like you can either wait and you know schedule one of yours cuz i had a follow up scan like usually they happen in the fall but i didn't have one like immediately on my schedule so he was like you can you know, call your doctor out tomorrow is Monday. Like, we'll just, we'll get you a scan soon. And then you'll be, you'll, you know, feel more at ease. And I was like, I don't know if I can wait that long. Like I really am concerned about this. So we went to the emergency room that night at about 11 o'clock, the same day that we started talking about it. And we got a CT scan. We told them my history and just that I, I was worried about it. And Sure enough, the attending doctor came back with my CT results and she told me that I had a large lesion on my liver. And, um, I don't think, I don't know if I've ever been more scared in my life. And just, I, I felt sick to my stomach because, I mean, she told me it was large. It was large enough to like see it and feel it. And I was just like, I had no knowledge of, you know, can can they surgically remove it? Cause it's big. Like, is it already like too far gone? Like, is, am I like, am I like in the process of dying right now? Or is there any treatment that they can do? Like, I had no idea. And, and now it was over midnight or past midnight at the ER. And of course this doctor is in the ER. She's not an oncologist. She can't tell me anything. So I just, <laughs> we just left. And then it's like one in the morning and, we just like went for a walk because it was just overwhelming and they didn't even know it was cancer. I mean, all that they could say was that it, there was a, like a mass in, on my liver. Uh, we, so we just, I mean, at that point, we didn't have a lot of information, but from there it was like scheduling um, appointments with different doctors and scheduling a biopsy, which was probably like a week later and then, you know, figuring out <laughs> if it's resectable or not. And ultimately, like, I got slightly better news, but like, it was, did turn out to be a recurrence of my initial cancer that I had in 2009, which is not what I wanted. Um, I was just hoping it was something non-cancerous that was going on, but, um, they did say that it was resectable, um, through surgery, which I felt like was a huge, like, a huge blessing, um, because not every organ in your body, you can just like cut off half of it and it'll grow back. And that's kind of the case with the liver. So I had to sort of sit around and wait for my surgery date to come up. But ultimately I was like, it's going to be a big surgery, my biggest one ever. But, and that was, I was basically sitting around watching the Olympics from home and, Getting ready for this massive surgery, but it was another situation where I was like very hopeful that I could get through it, have a good attitude, and hopefully I can be cancer free after the surgery. That was, that was my hope. I had no idea if like if I would be able to run again after like I have a 13 inch incision in my abdomen and I knew that running wouldn't be on the table for a while, but I was just trying to focus on you know, one thing at a time. And I truly hope that, you know, I could get rid of that cancer in August. And then, you know, maybe I could get a break from it for at least a while, but that's not what happened.
0: Gabe mentioned that 13 inch scar from the incision into her abdomen. She told me the story behind pressing publish on the Instagram post that really opened up about how public she was going to be with this battle in order to raise awareness for others.
1: I knew going into the surgery that it was going to last August, like my other two neck surgeries, like I definitely have scars from them. I have hair on the back of my head that never grew back after radiation. And I mean, I've slowly gotten more comfortable with those things, but I think that my previous like scars that I had, like I felt like I tried to hide stuff more or maybe felt um, a little bit more insecure about them. So I knew going into this liver surgery in August that like I knew this scar wasn't going to be hideable. Like I wasn't going to be able to cover it up by like wearing my hair a certain way. Um, like, you know, I'm a professional runner and this scar goes like you can just see it directly between like the top that I would race in and racing short. So like, I think I, I posted that like a few weeks after my surgery just to sort of help normalize it for myself. And also just for everyone, um, out there who's gone through something that has left a scar on their body, like it is, um, it can be an uncomfortable thing. I know, I knew my body was never going to look the same again, um, after that surgery in August, but, uh, you know, I just, I, you know, it's kind of like if I post it and I put it out there, it helps me get used to it and. I was, you know, hoping like if I'm one more person who is like talking about scar positivity or body positivity, that like it's worth sharing that whole journey and getting used to that scar is part of my journey now. Um, like I do feel like it's taken, it's gonna still be interesting to go out there and race with this huge scar, um, and like see pictures of myself racing with it. Um, I'm sure I'll have mixed feelings uh, about it, but you know, ultimately, I think I look back on the scar as like that surgery gave me. Maybe it didn't cure me, but it definitely gave me um, a shot at more years of life. So you know, it's a it's a very noticeable battle wound, but um, I'm just like maybe it's there for a reason. Maybe I can continue to help raise awareness for cancer. Um, and rare diseases by, you know, having this (laughs) on my body. Um, But outside of that, it's like, it's not going anywhere. So I just want to get as comfortable with it as I can.
0: When the word from doctors was finally cancer, I wondered what kind of reaction she had to that word when she had already gone through something like this twice.
1: (laughs) I'd like to think that I was getting used to it, but I was pretty, honestly, we were driving... Up north to my husband's parents' house, um, for the, I think for the weekend, um, just to cut and like get away from everything because I didn't have anything going on immediately. But my husband actually got the phone call and he told me, um, he had been talking to a doctor because I don't always love talking to doctors about mm-hmm. this. Um, so he relayed the information to me and I mean, I was like, I was disappointed. I, you know, like, had an emotional reaction, I guess you could say. Uh I was hoping, I mean, even if it was just, like, a very small sliver of hope, like, there are things that can grow in your liver that are not cancer. And I knew that, that wasn't super likely, but, you know, I'll take that sliver of hope. And I just didn't – I just knew it wasn't a good thing if my cancer had gone to my liver. And I just – I, yeah, I just, I was devastated, definitely, but um, but my husband told me, like, this doesn't necessarily change anything, like, this, the treatment is, like, still the same, like, they cut it out, you get it out, like, that was going to happen regardless, It, I mean, you don't want it to be cancer, obviously, but, like, they can cut it out, and, like, that's, I just had to focus on, okay, like, I don't want it to be cancer at all, but okay, at least they can cut it out. <laughs> Thank God they can cut it out.
0: Since the cancer diagnosis came in August, and this was after the trials, she wasn't running much, and so her future within the sport became a little bit unclear all of a sudden.
1: Right when I had gone, I think that Sunday night when I went to the ER, ER I was just finishing three weeks off of running. Um, that was what I had. I was in between coaches at this time, and I was really trying to figure out what the next step was with my running career. Um, I had been working with Danny Mackey in the Brooks Beast, and um, I did some reflecting after the trials. And even though I there were definitely positives about working with the group and sort of getting out of my comfort zone, I had decided that between my husband's career and just where I was at with running, that a move out to Seattle, I just didn't think, um, I had been entertaining it previous to that, but I just didn't think it was going to happen. So that had already – Danny already knew that we weren't going to be working together. Um, I had – I wanted to take the summer and just really think about, like, and do I want to do four more years of this? Um, like, I really was unsatisfied with how 2016 went running-wise. It was just a tough year. And um, so that's, like, kind of what I – I was doing, I was taking a break from running, but I was planning for the next step. I was definitely not ready to retire, but I was definitely, you know, I was just like trying to not make a hasty decision, um, like I had previously, um, when I made my coaching switch in 2015. Um, so I was just finishing my three week break when I went to the ER and then we found out about, um, what was going on with my liver. So, honestly, I was pretty out of shape when I found out. I, I did decide to do, like, a little bit of running here and there, but as soon as we found out that it was going to be, like, a pretty major surgery, um and I knew, like, this isn't going to be, like, I'm not – well, if I start running, it's not going to be – like, I'm just going to stop again in three weeks, basically. So, I didn't run every day. I definitely did some form of exercise, but – my mind was so all over the place with figuring out um, what was going on with my health that I definitely did some running. I think I got up to like five miles a few days a week, but as soon as I got up to that point, like my surgery was coming up really quick. Um, so I, you know, I spent time, a lot of time outside trying to like enjoy friends and family. Um, my husband and I are both from, central Minnesota like lakes area so I mean I had been trying to just enjoy summer for the first that was the first summer I think that I hadn't raced in Europe since I mean I since like 2010 like every single summer (laughs) I'm like gone in July and I can't ever enjoy the Minnesota summer which is just I mean it's fine (laughs) because it's my job and I love running but it's kind of hard to not be able to go to the lake and just like totally forget about running and go hang out on the boat and do that stuff. So that's kind of like what I was doing, honestly, in July. I was trying to forget about just how, you know, how disappointed I was with how the trials went and how tough of a year it had been. And I was trying to figure out um how, how I could, you know, figure things out for maybe another shot at 2020. That's what I was thinking about, but it wasn't like, I wasn't like emailing a bunch of coaches at that point, and I wasn't like plotting out a training plan. It was more so just like taking a break because I had been coming off a stress fracture in 2016 anyway, and just like it was really exhausting just to get all my standards. And it just was a tough year, so I was really like decompressing. And then that's when I found out about the cancer Yeah, Yeah,
0: the most important thing at the time was to figure out what the next steps were going to be in treatment.
1: So it's interesting because at each point in, like, sort of my experience with this disease, like, it's never been good, but I've always sort of had... The, the ability to say, like, in 2009, I was like, okay, like, it's not good that I have cancer, but at least it's just, you know, it's small. It was in, like, its primary location. I had a little bit of nerve invasion, which that was the concern for it, uh, metastasizing. But, you know, at that moment, like, the rest of my body was healthy. And then in August, I was like, okay, this isn't good that this is in my liver, but I was like, at least it's just like one spot and they can take it out. And uh because of like the rareness of this disease and uh the, the treatment options are just there's nothing super standard. There's not like a magic bullet at this point and now I'm no now I have multiple tum- tumors in my liver. So surgery used to be like I would gear up for surgery and then I like that would kind of be what I did as my treatment. But surgery is not an option for me anymore just because there's too much going on um in my liver. I have no symptoms, but um that's apparently what's happening. So right now, um, like I said, uh, well I guess over the last month I've been figuring out my options and this is gonna be really probably confusing. It's confusing for me even, but
0: I'll try and follow
1: Um, along. Yeah, so there's kind of, like, the therapies that they do. So it's, like, so there's chemotherapy, there's targeted therapy, and then, I guess, like, I guess immunotherapy can definitely fall under targeted therapy. Um, And then there's also, like, clinical trials, which can be, they're probably considered (laughs) some type of targeted therapy also. And then there's also, like, you know, radiology options, which would just be like any type of radiation therapy. And so I've been learning about all this different stuff. Um, the first sort of, when I first left the appointment, learning about the results of my scan, I honestly had no idea. And I it was just like, I was fully expecting to say like, your liver has grown back. It's fine. You're cancer free. Um, so to hear that, like, there was, Stuff going on, just like I don't know. I don't even know how to describe how I felt. Just like, I mean, I'm at this point. I've heard that I have cancer so so many times that it's like I know how to de- like sort of process it, but it gets scarier every single time because I feel like I'm, I'm running out of options almost. But I did, so it's kind of like chemotherapy. I don't know, for head and neck cancers it's tough because rarely do they have like regression in like metastatic disease, but chemotherapy could stabilize my cancer, which is would also be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um I had did I did genetic testing. I didn't match for any like no they have um I matched on a couple things that they haven't developed drugs for yet, but they had the targeted therapy drugs, I didn't match with anything. So it took that off the table. And then in terms of clinical trials, those are like, you know, like those are clinical trials. They're unproven, but right. th- those are things that are actively going on um, that doc- there's a couple doctors that are working on figuring something out for ACC. And just for me, like there's one clinical trial, I think that's starting soon, who a doctor that I'm going to see in New York, he is actually, I would say like leading, he's like leading the charge, finding new New treatments for ACC, but like five or ten years ago, I mean, there weren't even clinical trials going on. So I was, you know, thinking maybe a clinical trial would be an option for me. Um, targeted therapy is not an option because I didn't match with anything. So it's looking like right now I will either do chemotherapy or, or there are two clinical trials that I will talk to this doctor in New York about, one of which is like a pill-based targeted therapy, and the other is an immunotherapy that's through, like, um, an infusion. So I just am figuring out, like, um, which of those would make the most sense for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of of radiation or um, interventional radiology, I did go to the Mayo Clinic, and this is probably, like, the most exciting thing that, like, I had no idea about was the fact that um, for metastatic liver cancer that's non-resectable, which is what I have, um, mm-hmm. there's this new technology that they've kind of done in the past 10 or 15 years, and it's basically called it's like radiation radioembolization, and the brand name is called like Sarah Spheres or S I R Spheres, and it's basically like very specific like beads of um, high concentrated radiation. That they send directly at your tumor. So instead of like, I've had regular radiation therapy where it's just like they send it straight to your. I mean, basically your whole, the whole area gets it. It's not like precision, right. you know. Um, so this would be like an outpatient procedure um, for the stereotomies, and I'm definitely a candidate for that at some point. And some cancer patients have like that can be really effective even if it doesn't like get rid of all of the tumors or um like even if it just shrinks them it can definitely be uh, a pretty effective treatment and but the thing is I had a consult for that treatment recently and I don't currently have enough cancer to do that treatment oh, right now oh, so, it's like, so it's like so it's like that's like good news but it's yeah, also yeah. like it's weird news you know So I don't have, they want to make sure you have enough tumor mass. Um, Otherwise your liver just absorbs all the radiation and your liver will just die. So we don't want that. (laughs) So so it's good to know that like that's on the shelf um, because they do radioembolization for liver tumors. And then if you still need, they can do radioembolization like maybe two, maybe three times over your life just because it's a lot of radiation. And then, but after that, they can also do chemoembolization, which is kind of a similar idea, but they do it differently. But it's just like high doses of chemotherapy that they they send directly at the tumors themselves. So, so like those are options for me. They're just not options right now. Right. Um, so it's like that. It's okay. That's good to know. But I can't do that right now. Um. And basically, this doctor in New York, he's the one who is, like, he's, like, heading up these new clinical trials. And I've never had chemotherapy before just because it has not been um, – I don't know. The efficacy for my my disease is um, – it's kind of unclear, but it's very likely that they'll want me to do chemotherapy at some point. Um, so my plan right now is to talk to this doctor in New York and ask him what he thinks, honestly. Like, um, if he wants me to start a chemotherapy just to see how it works, uh, just because I've never had it before, I will do what he says. If he thinks that one of his clinical trials would be a good place to start, I will do that. Ultimately, like, there's definitely treatment in my future. It's just, uh it's really strange having, I mean, I have a rare disease, and I'm also at the point where it's like, it's metastatic disease and there's not a standard, there's no standard treatment. So yeah. that, do, that doesn't mean that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Um, I have been personally um, inspired by, I've read stories of people with different types of cancer, but who specifically battle metastatic liver cancer. And it seems like, you know, you can live for a long time, even with, even with some cancer in your body. Like I would love to get to the point where I could be cancer free. I am still hopeful that that's possible for me, but ultimately I'm just like, I think the term my doctor, one of my doctors used was like, we're going to, we're going to work on finding a way for you to coexist with this cancer. And (laughs) like live as long as possible. And honestly, she's like, things are changing with immunotherapies and, other technologies that she's like and and this is how i feel like what gets me out of bed every day and like why i go to the track and like i'm not giving up on my life is because i'm hopeful that the new technology in treating cancer and personalized medicine like like there's no doubt that like i need breakthroughs like there, my disease doesn't have a cure um So I'm just like, I got to stay alive long enough to just like see some breakthroughs and like maybe, maybe something will work for me in the future and maybe one of these clinical trials will work really well and I'll be good to go. But um, I definitely, um, I definitely feel like it's a scary place to be, but I don't think that I could keep living my life um, if I didn't have hope that they're going to figure, figure something out.
0: That sounds like a lot of hospital visits, and her husband, Justin, was by her side for many of them. I wondered if every single time that she sat in hospitals, if it felt different, or if it was just more of the same. Justin, who has displayed so much bravery of his own in the past couple of weeks, was instrumental in helping build some of Gabe's courage.
1: Every hospital visit for me is like a little different, and... My anxiety uh for hospital visits is, like, it has, I think it's peaked, like, in the last month. I just, like, I remember specifically going to talk to uh the doctor at the Mayo Clinic uh for the first time. And I just, like, they called my name to go back and talk to this doctor. And I, my heart rate, like, was just, like, my heartbeat was so fast that I, the only thing I could think of was, like, this is crazy like i i've stood <laughs> on starting lines or on starting lines in front of thousands of people like all these big races but like there's nothing that has pr- like i just like feel so much anxiety walking into some of these doctors offices because i mean my husband thinks i'm insane because my greatest fear is just that like one of these doctors is going to say there's nothing we can do. Like there's no treatment, (laughs) you know, like, which is totally, which is completely irrational because they're obviously going to try to help me. And even if that takes like being a little innovative here and there, they want to help me. But I think like, yeah, the greatest fear is just that like having the rare cancer has been um, just a really interesting experience because you'd realize how narrow the options are or at least have been in the past. And it's just like, it's a scare. It's like, you don't want to get diagnosed with cancer to begin with, but then like to realize how, um, how little research has been done on your specific cancer and, you know, like the funding for finding new treatments for cancers that, you know, they affect a smaller proportion of people, but, uh, I've been trying to educate myself. It's just like rare diseases in themselves are not uncommon. Like, Taken like by each one specifically, they're very uncommon, but I think if you add up all of the rare diseases that exist, it's like it would be like the fourth most populous country in the world. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like rare disease is not uncommon. And I just feel like it's a, it's important to make, to make that known to the greater public and hopefully like just continue to Get awareness and funding around these diseases that are not are not super common or easy to cure.
0: I was curious what she knew about adenoid cystic carcinoma up until that point, point. and a reminder this is April two thousand and seventeen very early on
1: i haven't I don't even know like anyone personally um with this like I haven't like met anyone face to face who has this exact disease, but what I have learned is like i mean. One thing that I'm glad is that like I, I've been out there and like I haven't been super afraid to talk about my disease and my journey. And so when people get diagnosed with adenoid cystic carcinoma and they Google it, just like I did like eight years ago, like my name shows up somewhere in there and I've gotten lots of messages over the last like five years, but especially in the last like two years. Um, since I started my website, people can find me and send me a message. And, you know, like what I've learned is that, like, it's um it's definitely, like, scary because you feel like you don't have as many options as people with other cancers might have. And there's just not a lot of solid research or, like, the standard of care doesn't tell you exactly what to do. So you're just faced with a lot of questions. But, you know, it seems to affect, like younger people at a higher rate than your average cancer. And so I've just heard from a lot of people and like a lot of people, you know, you can live with this disease for quite a while. It's just like getting through each little recurrence and getting back to your life. And I, I'm inspired by the people that I hear from who are still out there fighting. And I hope that they can take some encouragement from me trying to keep running and keep living my life. But, uh, you know, it's It is a rare disease, so it's like I don't even – I don't know anyone personally who has it. I do – like I know them through Facebook messages or through messages on my website. But um, I'm hoping to – I've just like been in touch with the ACCRF, the the Adenoid Cystic Carcinoma Research Foundation, and um, I'm hoping to get more involved and actually meet like real people with this disease and hopefully get some, you know, advances for, you know – keeping people alive longer, improving survival. That's, that's all that I can hope to do with my story.
0: One thing that I've learned about cancer patients over the years is that sometimes they just yearn to get back to work so that they can feel normal again. So imagine being a doctor and Gabe is there asking questions about when she can return to work. And work for her means training and racing at a high level so that she can compete at something like a world championships or an Olympics. She explains what it must have been like for some of those doctors.
1: You know, having my husband's perspective, he's like, you know, you're like, he's like you're a dream patient. Like, you know, doctors want to work with patients who care about their health and are healthy, so like... It's great that you're a runner and I it always comes up because all almost all my doctors like ask me what I do for a living and I'm always like I have a weird job. <laughs> well, it's a cool job, but it makes being a cancer patient different for sure. Um I think that you know when I met with the guy who uh the radi the radiologist who could potentially do the therapies he you know, he knew that I was a runner coming in because he had talked to my other doctor and he was like, oh, I already, like, he he was like, I already figured out, like, because this procedure, they have to use your femoral artery. And he's like, you know, like, you, after the procedure, like, you're a runner, you could run two days later, but, like, you need to just, like, sit still for six six to eight hours, <laughs> like, after the procedure. He's like, but don't worry, I've already thought about, like, how I could, you know, do this, like, different, like, use a really small um I don't even know what it's called, like catheter to mm-hmm. just like to disrupt my running beliefs. So I think, um, it's, I think they just probably think it's kind of strange <laughs> that that running means so much to me. The most recent thing, after I found out I didn't uh, qualify for any targeted therapies through my genetic test, um, I, they basically said, well, chemotherapy is probably the next step. And they were like, you can start not as early as next week. We think you should. And that's when I had to be like, well, how I actually want to like, I'm barely just getting in shape. Um, we don't know how effective chemotherapy will even be and it will be very disruptive to my running. Like, um, mm-hmm. I had to explain that like, if I could get a couple weeks of racing and r- just a couple races in, um, that that would like make a big difference to my quality of life. Um, and they definitely, um, I think that they understand some of the doctors more than others, but, um, you know, I'm at the point where I have to, I have to weigh those decisions. Um, cause I could have started chemotherapy I'm sure like yesterday or last week, but, um, I've decided to get like another opinion from another doctor and, I'm not going to do anything stupid. My health is more important than running, but um, I just want for your average, you know, cancer patient. It might make sense. It might not matter to them if they start next week or next month. And maybe they just want to get it done sooner. Um, But for me, it's like I, I just have, I envisioned myself coming back from the surgery, and it's just really personally important for me to get back out there um, and do a little bit of racing. And I have not ruled out racing um, while undergoing treatment, but I know that if it is chemotherapy, I'm I'm not that naive. I know it'll be tough to really like be running um, fast probably. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm open to it, but uh, ultimately I just like, I only, I just want to qualify for USAs. And if I'm on treatment at USAs, like, that's fine. I'll show up no matter what. Like if I have to walk it in and get last, like I, I want to be there and I want to qualify for that. Um, I, cause at the end of the day, like I'm a professional runner, other cancer patients, you know, they don't just, I mean, they don't just take months off of their job. So it's like, if I can do my job, I want to try.
0: In late April, 2017, here is where she was at in her relationship with running.
1: Yeah, so the day that I found out that there's still cancer in my liver, I had, I was supposed to do a workout that afternoon, but, like, I just was super deflated, and, like, my emotions were just kind of all over the place. So I knew I needed to make a decision, like, okay, like, I can't put off workouts for, like, a week. I'm just going to, like, ruin all my progress. Because, honestly, up until I think it was March 19th, when I found out about this current situation, um, like I had just been building up like a pretty decent base phase and like felt really good where I was at with my training. Um, so it just like, it honestly just stuck because I, I I did have to decide like, okay, you have cancer, you're going to require some treatment, but like how is running going to fit in? And I don't know how to describe it other than like, Running is, like, the last thing I wanted to do on that day, but also, like, I knew I needed to do it. So even though I, I decided to delay the workout one day, I just needed to process this news. I think I went for a six-mile run um, just talking to my husband about, like, what's next. But, yeah, the next day, I mean, I still was feeling emotional. I think I did sixteen by two hundred. um my coach showed up, and I just kind of explained the situation. and I said, I want to keep running, and if I can race, I want to race also. like it's a, this is like important to me, and I feel like the thing that is cool is that I have cancer, but like I feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, those first few workouts I did were honestly not that good. I would say my, my performance and workouts took like a slight dip for like a week. But as I've like figured out kind of what my options are, I'm feeling like a little bit more, I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess. And it's looking like I'm going to get some racing in. So honestly, the last three weeks, my, I should mention, actually, this is important. I think, Right away, I decided to just focus on one event though so this year. I was still gonna do five ks and fifteen hundreds and like kind of make a decision later. but I talked to coach right away, and I told my husband I was like i just with all with this news like I know that I just I need to narrow my focus um on the track and with like thinking about treatments and just energy levels and everything, I just decided to focus on the fifteen hundred. So that has made a little bit of a difference. My training has changed a little bit because of that. Um and I just felt like it would be volume wise, it's like a little bit more manageable. And um so that is that has helped me mentally because now I'm not trying to fit like five Ks and fifteen hundreds and like a bunch of different races. So that has helped a little bit. But I would say that like I feel really I feel really good about where my training is at. I I don't know like exactly what to expect it's been a long time since i've raced but like i said like my two goals are i mean i think i only i finished only 1500s at the trials last year so that's the only time that i currently have um but the usa's qualifier is 409.5 and that's what i'm going for um i'm not trying to like l- that's not my like limit i think i could definitely run faster than that if um i get to race a couple times but uh but that's my goal. I just really want to I really want to qualify based on time, and I want to show up at USA's, regardless of where I'm at with everything.
0: Before we hung up and made plans to meet up in New York a month later, I asked her what she thinks people know her best for.
1: My story as a cancer survivor currently is probably what I'm most well-known for, especially recently. Unfortunately, I'm probably, uh, I got a little bit too much of, Media attention for the twenty fourteen indoor <laughs> controversy, <laughs> but you know I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I think I'm somebody who's you know I've con- I've been consistently a player in the middle distances, um, but yeah I I have been missing that breakthrough kind of like I was missing it in high school and in college right until the very end. So you know I just I feel like I'm somebody who you can't ever count out in terms of racing, but there's nothing. Yeah, for me, I've fallen short of my goal to, you know, I I thought I had definite shot the last couple of years. I mean, I've had PRs and fitness and things that would indicate I could challenge for a team, but the stars have not aligned for me, unfortunately, in, in the outdoor season anyway.
0: So here's how that season played out. Gabe raced and did her best to try and notch the qualifying standard of 409.50 uh, for the U.S. Outdoor Championships. She decided to delay her chemo treatment to try and qualify, which meant that she raced in Nashville, Los Angeles, Boston, and in Eugene. She didn't get under the time, but she was let into the U.S. Championships in Sacramento because not enough women hit the qualifying standard, and her season's best of 4.12 managed to get her in. She did finish last in the 1500-meter heats, but her fellow competitors waited for her to cross the finish line, to huddle together, and then say a prayer. This would be the last time that Gabe raced. No one knew it at the time because throughout 2018 she continued to train and underwent treatment but nearly returned to the track in the fall for some late season track meets or a couple road miles. A few medical setbacks scratched those plans. Gabe was still active in the running community uh, with appearances at track meets, speaking engagements, and the launch of the Brave Like Gabe Foundation. She even did some coaching by helping fix her upper starship gains in his first marathon. She pretty much inspired millions in her fight. On June 1st, she was rushed to the ICU but made a miraculous recovery where she actually quoted Arya Stark from Game of Thrones and basically told death, quote, not today, end quote. And then she enjoyed some Shake Shack. Total badass. Her condition took another turn, and then treatment was stopped. Gabe was fortunate enough to be able to spend 10 more days with her friends and family before her passing. In her last few days, her husband Justin took to Instagram and shared a letter that he wrote to his wife, while also asking friends and family and other supporters to share any last messages that they wanted with her. It was in his letter that he said, quote, At the end of the day, people won't remember the PR's run or the team's qualified for, but they will remember that hard period in their life where they were losing hope, but they found inspiration in a young lady who refuses to give up. I love you. So that was the answer to the question that I asked before about what people would know her best for. It's just that, that was very early on in 2017, and Gabe was very focused on racing and competing and making a return to the track. And she did that. And by later on that summer, her perspective on running had changed, and she appreciated everything more about the sport. Now, two years later, we can appreciate everything about her more. Her courage, her strength, her fight, and her story.
1: Thanks for... Um Thanks for giving me another chance to share my story. I definitely appreciate
0: it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sidious Mag podcast. Lastly, and most importantly, please consider donating to the Brave Like Gabe Foundation, where all proceeds go toward supporting rare cancer research centers like Memorial Sloan Kettering and the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. Go to bravelikegabe.org for more information.